Why don't you pray? Lord Jesus, God, we thank you, Father, for fellowship. We thank you for your love for us. God, I just praise you for all my friends and my family here. And Father, we just pray that you would speak to us tonight, Lord. Um, I happen to know the subject matter, Lord, and it's humility. And Lord, we need more humility as your people. Father, I need more humility, God. I pray, Father, that you would um, stir our hearts and change our hearts lord and cause us to be more like jesus in our humility and our meekness in jesus name amen all right turn to matthew chapter 5 then we say we're going to talk about humility because we all need more humility so and uh i mean you know again we've talked about it before but a lot of the stuff that we, you know, that churches in general, that people, that pastors preach on and stuff like that. I mean, you know, you're like, I've heard this message 50 times, you know, and stuff. And it's like, you know, sometimes it's just things that we just need to hear again. Because <clears throat> with all of this, you know, we, you know, <laughs> you know, it's just like anything. The enemy always tries to distract us. Here we'll be over here putting fires out on this side and he's over here on this other side putting starting more fires you know and stuff and so the whole thing about um biblical christianity is learning how to be vigilant learning how to be on the alert be on the alert your enemy goes around uh, like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour and the problem with the christian church in 2020 is that uh for a lot of us there is no vigilance and a lot of us there's no alertness and a lot of us we think that well you know everything's just going to be all right everything's going to be great i don't have to worry about the enemy and you know this whole talk about satan is you know an archaic thing anyway and there's not really a satan or not really a devil who's out to destroy your lives and you know and so a lot of us are kind of sleepwalking through christianity and then we, when, you know, all hell, you know, unleashes on our lives, we wonder what happened, you know, and we wonder why we're unprepared. And so the reason that we go over these things all the time is to remind ourselves. And just like Paul said to Timothy, to stir up that gift that's within you. And, and he says, I, you know, I have no problem with reminding you of these things. And so these things are good for us to continually go over and to, um, you know, it's just like with anything we're, we're, we're all learning. We're all uh, maturing and we're all helping each other on this road called Christianity and things and stuff so um, yeah so in Matthew 5 verse 3 he says blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God and uh, he says blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted and we're just going to read the whole Beatitudes because again this is Christianity this is um, like if you're going to take Christianity and distill it to its to its essence, this is what Christianity is. He says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle or the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And again, this is Christianity. We're not trying to just go to church. We're not trying to do religious things. These are the things that we're attaining to. 
These are the things that Jesus, this is one of Jesus' first sermons and stuff. And I think that it was one of his most important ones. He's saying, this is what Christianity is. Because the scribes and the Pharisees, they do all the religious things. They do their tithing. They do their fasting. And they do, and, and again, none of these things are bad. But they, that's not the end all be all. These things, once when we accomplish these things, we are drawing into the image of Christ. And he pours out the other stuff on us. Um, verse 9, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And essentially, all these things come and flow through humility. And that's where we learn the, oh, hey, that's where we learn the, these things is through being humble. When we're proud, when we, when we feel like we've already, when we pr feel like we already know everything and we've already been taught and we've already, and that's, again, one of the problems that we have as believers too, especially if you've been a believer for some time, we get to where we can, we can parrot Christian things, right? We can, we get to where we can speak doctrines, we can quote scripture, we can, you know, someone starts telling us about the things of God and we're like, oh yeah, 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 I know all that and stuff. And so we get comfortable in our, in our Christianity and what happens is slowly we begin to get a little bit calloused and we begin to get a little bit proud about our, our knowledge, about our attainments, about the things that we know. And so we forget these things, right? And so all these things that Jesus talking about, you know, uh, being merciful and being pure in heart, being peacemakers, uh, being righteous and all those flow directly through humility, and it's in that place of humility where we find those things. That's why Jesus says, if you want to be my follower, you have to be like a little child, right? Because a little child doesn't come and say, hey, Jesus, this is how we're going to do this, okay? Mm -hmm. And honestly, isn't that how we are as believers sometimes? You know, uh, we feel like um, God may be moving us in a certain direction or there's things in our lives that we want changed or whatever it is. We want some kind of change in our lives. And so instead of coming to Jesus and saying, Lord, I got this thing in my life and, and, you know, how are we going to work it out? Right. A lot of times we're like, you know, God, this is what I want. I want you to get me a better job. Right. Or I want you to give me this, or I want you to get me that. I want you to get me a house that's bigger or, or something like that. I want you to get me a better car and things rather than say laying before the Lord. These are my issues and stuff and, and working hand in hand together with him. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. In verse 13, continuing, he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? In other words, if you lose that humility, if you lose that childlikeness that you had before, how can it come again? He says it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket. But they put it on the lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And then, again, that, that's the thing. And I think that that is the power of humility. Because the world thinks that humility is, is like, you know, being, you know, someone that allows themselves to be walked on or someone that allows themselves to be abused or, or someone that doesn't stand up for themselves. And that's not humility at all, right? 
But that's how the world views it. And the thing is, is if we look at humility through Jesus' eyes, there is a power in humility, right? And it's that power that brings the closeness of God. And when we have the power of God working through our lives, no matter how humble I am, no matter how foolish I am, no matter how broken I am, no matter how uh, ridiculous seeming that I am, it doesn't matter because it's not me, it's the power of God flowing through me. And the power of God only comes to those who are humble. Bible says God resists the proud, right? And over and over in the word of God, there are people who, who you know, religious people, non-religious people who are full of pride, who God cannot work through and stuff. And so God is looking for a people of continuous humility. And, and again, of us coming, to, and again, it's like we talked about last week. It's like there are times we need to take stock of our lives. We need to look at, I need to look at my life and say, Lord, how humble am I? Because when I'm mistreating somebody or when I'm looking down on somebody or when I'm not uh, loving somebody in the way that Jesus loves, uh, you can point to pride right there, right? It's like, because we know what to do, right? But we're not doing it. We know how God has called us to live, but we are choosing in that moment, that's not how I want to live. And that is the epitome of pride, saying, I don't want to do it God's way, I want to do it my way. And so again, we have to continually be bringing ourselves to that place of humility. Um, and uh, turn to Romans chapter 14. In Romans 14, Paul is saying, he says now in verse 1, he says, Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may, he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who does eat, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge the servant of another? For to his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. And I don't know about you guys, I'm sure if you've been a Christian for any length of time, we've all witnessed this, right? And we've done it ourselves. We've looked down on other people because they don't do things the way that I would do them, right? Or they're doing things differently from the way I, that I do. And it goes from the leadership down to the commonest person in the pew. We all do it. We all judge each other and we all put ourselves in this place of authority where we think our, that we are something when we're not, right? And that's, a, that's it, that it. And the thing is, is we need authority. We need structure in the church, but that's one of the downsides. And that is something that has to be continually guarded against because, and that's why we don't put people on pedestals. Because if you put somebody on a pedestal, sooner or later, they will fall. Because they are just human beings, right? And, you know, it doesn't matter who it is. Whoever teaches, it can be the best preacher that you have ever heard in your entire life. It can be someone that lays hands on people and they spring up from the dead. It can be someone that prophesies and it happens just exactly like they said. But if you put that person on a pedestal, they will fall. Because that person is a human being. And that's all that person will ever be. It doesn't matter who they are. That's all they, they will ever be. And again, that's what, to me, that's what made the Apostle Paul so, so powerful is because he operated from a place of humility. You know, 
right? And even if he had the option of going to the place of pride, God gave him a thorn in the flesh and said, you're not going there. You are going to stay humble. And the way that the kingdom of God is supposed to operate is through humility. It is never, ever designed to be a hierarchical thing where you got the Pope and the Pope tells everybody else what to do and everybody bows and kisses his ring and, and, and all that kind of stuff. It was never, ever meant to be that way, right? It was always meant to be servanthood. And what servanthood comes from what? Humility, right? Jesus laid down his life for us as an example. He put a towel around his waist as an example for us to follow. And it was one Jesus could have commanded every single person on the earth when he was here. And most people didn't even know him. Most people didn't even know who he is. How many hundreds of people, maybe thousands of people, did Jesus walk right by, maybe even brushed against them, and they never even knew who he was? Never thought he was special. Never thought he was somebody, right? And yet here's someone who had all authority in heaven and earth in his power. And he didn't have to flaunt it. He didn't have to say, look, I'm Jesus, right? I don't know who you guys are, but I, you know, I'm the son of God. He operated through humility. And again, part of our problem as the 20th century church or the 21st century church is that a lot of times we are operating out of pride. We're operating out of machinery. We're, offer, we're operating out of a position of power and strength rather than a position of vulnerability, a position of like, hey, I'm just like you. I'm broken. I've got my issues. I've got my problems too. And, and But let's try to solve this together, right? So continue reading in Matthew or Romans 14. He says, uh, Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. Um, for he who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord, for he, he gives thanks to the Lord, and he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. In other words, this is all his thing, right? And again, we try to judge each other. We try to live each other's lives and stuff like that. And there is the flip side of all this, right? If someone is in sin or if someone is going on a path of destruction, if we love them, we are going to try to help them. But again, it's not out of, look, I'm smarter than you are, or I'm, I'm wiser than you are, or I'm a church elder, or I'm a deacon, or I'm a pastor and stuff, and you need to listen to me. It's not that at all. It's like, look, you are on a bad road, and this road is going to take you to destruction if you don't turn around. And the only reason why I'm telling you this is because I've been there too. And there have been many times when the, when my life has been wiped out. And, and there, there has been destruction in my life, which could have been a lot worse if not for the grace of God. Right? And so that's all we're doing is warning people and, and helping people and stuff. He says, but you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And again, this, you know, in the church, you know, Jesus said, you, they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. And 
if if we truly loved each other and lay down our lives for each other, I think the world would be able to see it, right? But how many times in our churches and you know, are is this brother's fighting against this brother, this person's looking down on this person, this person thinks this other person's an idiot, and you know, all this stuff. And so we've got all this garbage in the body of Christ, and it is dimming our light because we do not have the humility to lay aside our issues, our problems, our judgments, and our, our um, prejudices and just love the other person. Because again, and, and there is a place for maturity. There is a place for Paul saying, by now, some of you should be teachers. By now, you should be eating bread, uh, meat instead of bread. By now, you should be growing up into the things of God. And so there is a place of, of discipleship. There is a place of instruction and things like that. But at the same time, we're all in this thing together, Right? And we're all struggling. We're all seeking to be drawn closer into the image of God. And that, again, only comes through humility. Um, he says in verse 13, or, or verse 12, So then each one of us will give an account to, of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. Now, again, with all these things, uh, you know, the, the word of God has to be taken by balance. And that's the problem because so many of us, uh, like we were talking about earlier, some of us, we, we get unbalanced, right? We're like, we'll, we'll take a certain aspect. Okay, this humility, I'm going to take this humility and ram it down the devil's throat or whatever. You know what I'm saying? And so what we do is we tend to take things farther than what they're called for. And everything, just about everything in the word of God has a balance to it, right? So, you know, you start talking about humility and you start thinking, well, does that mean that I'm just supposed to let people just walk on me, treat me like a doormat or, you know, or just, you know, whatever and stuff. But you know what? Jesus was not that way. Right. Um, turn to Luke, um, Luke 13. Can I say something real quick? Please. Um, in chapter 14 and verse six, he who observes the day observes it for the Lord and he who eats does so for the Lord. For he gives thanks to God, and he eats not. For the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. He, here, I feel like Paul is really trying to emphasize motive. Is like he, he's he's basically saying what he's doing. He's even if he's wrong, you know, you may think he's wrong in what he's doing, but he's actually doing what he's doing for the Lord. So yeah. even if you have the freedom, for example, to um, work on the Sabbath, for example, if you feel like you you know you got a job and you feel free to work on the Sabbath, you shouldn't condemn another Christian who turns down a job because it requires them to work on the Sabbath. It's right. and, and you shouldn't make fun of them and tease them and tell them you're free in Christ. You should like deal with that, you know, and because their reason for doing that is for the Lord, and yeah. so oftentimes we don't look at motive at the heart right. um, and that's really important and especially if you know that this person truly loves the Lord right okay. and you know I mean there's people we know single parents or whatever and stuff they have to work you know and like uh, 
you know, they have to work when they're told to work and stuff. And, and so there are things that we have to do to survive. There are things that we have to do in, to live in this world. And as long as they're being fed, that's the issue. As long as they're seeking fellowship, that's the issue. As long as they're seeking the Lord and spending time with him, that's the issue. And again, the whole thing about Romans 14, I mean, Paul is contrasting um, Jude, Judaistic believers with Gentile believers and stuff. And basically they're fighting with each other because, well, we, we believe in keeping the Sabbath and the, new, and the Gentile believers are like, no, we don't believe in doing that. And they're fighting with each other instead of saying, okay, if you want to keep the Sabbath, keep the Sabbath. That's fine. As long as you love Jesus, right? And don't judge me if I don't do it. Right? And vice versa. If I don't keep the Sabbath, don't judge me for that. Right? If you want to worship Jesus on Saturday, worship Jesus on Saturday. If I want to worship Jesus on Sunday, then worship Jesus on Sunday. So, and uh, yeah, and again, it's the pride that causes us in, in so many denominational things, which we all know. It's those, a lot of those things are understandable, but a lot of the, a lot of them are ridiculous. Yeah. It's little petty squabbles that we can't get over with. And that's, you know, something that's, that's, that I like about our past is that, like, we've been to Baptist churches, we've been to non-denominational churches, we've been to charismatic churches, we've been to four-square churches, we've been to Nazarene churches and stuff. And, you know, all of them have their place. All of them have yeah, something to offer. Gifts, exactly. Yeah. And, and stuff. And so... But if you're like, no, you know, I'm this four score, you know, four square Pentecostal and that's all I am and stuff like that. You are missing out on the rest of the body of Christ. One of the things that we really used to enjoy doing, we've only done it maybe once, but um, there's this huge Presbyterian church in, in Dallas and stuff. That we went to on Christmas once and they had the huge pipe organs and they're playing all these, you know, um, uh, hymns and Christmas hymns and stuff like that. And the pipe organ is rocking the whole building. And I mean, it was just awesome, you know? And again, we limit ourselves by saying, well, I can't hang out with this brother because he, this brother's a charismatic or I can't hang out with this brother because this brother's a Presbyterian or a Methodist or what, you know what I'm saying? And, 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 the, I, and, and the point is, is where is their heart with Jesus? Right? Even on a more like down to earth scale too is like, when you're dealing with a brother or sister in Christ, like, like for example, married, if Dean says something, I have to be careful that I don't necessarily judge what he says, but I think about his motive of why he said it. And sometimes we all misspeak or we say things wrong or even we may do something wrong with the truth. You have to be willing to look at the person's motive and their heart. Right. And sometimes I think we don't do that as a church. We're too quick yeah. to just jump on the wagon and judge each other. Yeah. And the thing is, is, you know... And I apologize because I've done that to you well, too. Well, so. we've all done it. But the thing is, is at some point I want to talk about like gossip and stuff like that. But that's what I was... What was I reading? I was reading something about some something that happened with these public people and stuff. And and it's like, okay, well, this... Per, it's, it's like if you, you hear the stories, you know, this, this baseball person said something really rude to this fan or whatever and stuff like that. And you're like... And that's the news that we receive, right? But the thing is, is were you there? Do you know if that fan said something to the, you know what I'm saying? And that's what we do. That's what we do as human beings. And that's what gossip is. We'll catch this snippet of something. Well, hey, I heard that this guy said this. And you're like, wow, I can't believe that guy said that. And immediately your your opinions are formed and immediately you're you're against them and stuff. But you don't even know why they said that. Right. 
and, and it's exactly true and it is something that we all deal with and and hopefully we'll be t talking about that soon too because again we're talking about things that we deal with all the time and that every single one of us have issues with every single one of us have things that we're dealing with and that we can do better at right so yeah if your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy your brother. Do not destroy by your food or you know what you do or whatever. Someone for whom Christ died. So, man, I just know that I really need the Holy Spirit to determine like yeah. when. Okay, maybe someone's judging my motives, and, you know, and why I did something. But then again, if. And maybe it was from a pure motive, but then again, if they're offended by what I did out of love, I need to go, okay, well, even though I know my motive was pure, if it offended this person out of love, I can I can just take the responsibility of being wrong. You know right, I mean? like the scripture that says, yeah. when, what is that, the one in, where, um, uh, the one in Romans 5 or something, right? Where, Not the responsibility, but just like, I can take the position. Where he uh, says, be when you're willing to go, or you rather be wrong than go to court with your brother. Yeah, just be, agree with your adversary yeah. quickly. So, yeah. and, right. and our adversaries right. are actually our brothers and sisters. So. Right. And the, and the thing is, is this that is where, humility. this yeah. is where we need the Holy Spirit also. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, Paul's like saying, you know, if I, if I'm going to eat something that causes someone to stumble, I'm not going to eat it. Mm -hmm. Yet at the same time, Jesus purposely would eat grain in front of the Pharisees. Yeah. And he knew that they were going to be upset, mm -hmm. which brings us to uh, Luke 13 in verse uh, uh, 31. But he also knew their heart. So, yeah. Yeah. He says, just at that time, some Pharisees approached saying to him, Jesus, go away, leave, leave here for Herod wants to kill you. Now let's stop right there and back up to verse 22. It says, as Jesus was passing through from one city and village to another, teaching and proceeding on the way to Jerusalem, someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? And Jesus said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will, be, will seek to enter and will not be able. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up to us, then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our seats. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves being thrown out. And they will come from east and west and north and south and will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And this is where the Pharisees come up and they say, and behold, or he says, and behold, some are last will be first and some are first will be last. Verse 31, just at that time, some Pharisees approached saying to him, go away, leave here for Herod wants to kill you. I think that's really awesome. If you kind of look behind the scenes, the Pharisees didn't like what Jesus just said to him. And so now they're going, oh, hey, Herod wants you to get out of here. He's trying to kill you. And so they're using this excuse to try to get rid of Jesus because they don't like what he's saying, right? And so Jesus, again, there is this, there is this really, really tricky thing where we don't, where, okay, someone that's weak in faith, we, we, you know, Paul's like, I won't eat meat if it's going to cause them to stumble. Yet at the other hand, 
Jesus knows that what he's saying is going to make some people mad, and yet he still says it. And the Pharisees are angry at what he said to the point that we're like, oh, uh, Herod says you need to leave here because he's going to try to kill you and stuff. And even in that response, look at what Jesus says. He says, uh, verse 32, And Jesus said to them, Go out and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I reach my goal. So again, Jesus, even with Herod, the king, Jesus calls him a fox, you know, in a disparaging way and stuff. And so the Bible is not this just quick pat answers, this quick, easy thing. And like, oh, hey, it says. And that's why so often we get off because we take, well, the scripture says this. Okay, yeah, it does say that. What else does it say? Right. And so we have to be students of the word of God. And it's not easy. It's not. It's not easy to dissect the word of God and try to from that distill it and find out, Lord, what are you trying to say? Because, yes, is it true that Paul's saying, like, I'm not going to eat meat if it causes my brother to stumble. But at the same time, Jesus is calling Herod a fox. And even in another place, turn to Matthew chapter um, um. Matthew 23. And again, this is not the Jesus we see on the Bible movies, but this is the Jesus that's in the Bible. And this is the Jesus that, okay, if we're going to truly be Christians, if we're going to truly, I remember like uh, when we were living in Colorado, this, this Jesus, uh, they showed some Jesus movies on TV. It was like a weekly thing or something like that or several weeks kind of, uh, thing and stuff and, and anyway this guy came to work upset the next day because he was like I can't believe John the Baptist would act that way you know and stuff and he was a Christian he went to church and stuff and, and he would often like share some snippets of gospel with people that work there and stuff like that but it's like I can't believe John the Baptist would act that way like and it was all like rude and stuff and I'm like have you not read the Bible because when John is like, you brood of vipers, you snakes, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? I mean, this is not, he's not pulling punches. And he's not like, oh, you know, you snakes. I mean, he is, he is forceful. You cute little snakes. And, and I mean, he means what he's saying and, and stuff. And in 23 verse, uh, verse 1. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples saying, the scribes and the and the, when Jesus is saying this, and again, think of this. Again, we as believers, we, we want to be polite to people. We want to we want to kind of, you know, not offend people. We want to angry anger people. But when Jesus starts saying this, the scribes and the Pharisees are right there. Right? It's like when Jesus starts talking trash about these people, they're sitting right there. And they're they're and, and they know that he's talking about them. Verse 1, Jesus said, spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. Can you imagine? Okay, you're sitting there and you're like, okay, everything's good so far. And then he's talking about you and he says, okay, so you, whenever you say something to these guys, I want them to do what you say but I don't want them to do what you do 
And he's calling them a hypocrite. And there he says, uh, verse four, they tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. And he says, but they do all their deeds to be noticed by men for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. What is he speaking about? He's speaking about pride, right? And again, this is the most humble person that ever lived that's saying this. This is the most humble person that will ever walk this earth that's saying this. He says, they, um, he says um, verse 6, They love the place of honor at banquets of the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. But do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for anyone is your fa- for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is Christ. So in other words, he's just telling them, don't put pe- people on pedestals. That's all he's saying. He says, uh, but the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And again, this is not something that a lot of churches teach, right? And this is certainly not the attitude that a lot of churches have. Most of us as believers, and that's the problem, is that because we have gone so far to the extreme that we don't speak up, we don't say things. And, and you know, again, John the Baptist, when he's railing at these guys and stuff, was he not loving was he not caring? John the Baptist operated out of love, right? Because otherwise Jesus would not have supported him. When Jesus is saying these things, he is operating out of love. And again, a lot of churches, if you were to read this passage in church, there would be a lot of people freaking out. There might even be a lot of Christian people walking out the door because they're like, that's not the Jesus I know. But this is the Jesus of the Bible. So verse 13 again, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people, yet for you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. I mean, he is just slapping them, essentially. He says, Because you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers, therefore you will receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. Woe to you, blind guides, who say whoever swears by the temple, that's nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, well, then he's obligated, because then it's the gold, right? It says, you fools and blind men, which is more important, the gold of the temple that sank, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? So Jesus just keeps on, I mean, and it just goes on and on, verse after verse of Jesus just lambasting the Pharisees and stuff. And so, again, if we're going to truly, and again, Jesus was the most humble person that walked on the face of the earth. And if we're going to follow Jesus, we have to find out what is he truly like, right? But we also have to remember, like what you just said a while ago, is that you can't blanket that right for everything because exactly. he knew their hearts yes and so he doesn't lamb blast everybody or right. he would have lamb blasted the woman who was caught in adultery which he did not yeah but it, i think the, the key there again is knowing the person's heart and and i think he did know 
And I think the challenge for us is in humility that we also regard the heart of a person and how we respond to each other and how yeah. we respond. And again, that's, that's the whole thing is learning to see people as they are. Learning to judge with righteous judgment, right? Yeah. Because again, what we do is we acquit the guilty and we condemn the righteous a lot of times. Yeah. And stuff. And, and it's like we, we, we need to know whenever we have a brother that's just struggling. That's trying to trying to you know walk with the Lord, trying to be all that they can be, or you know, or what the fluff is, right? Because there's a lot of fluff in the church, and there's a lot of stuff that looks like Christianity, and there's lots of wolves with sheep's clothing, and stuff. And again, the problem with the church—not the problem, but a large problem of the church today—is we do not assess the situation rightly. And the leaders of churches do not assess the situation rightly. The church is not to be a place where just everybody comes. The church is to be a gathering of the elect. The church is to be the gathering of those who are seeking the Lord with all their hearts. And we have made the church this. We'll just, just open the doors and everybody's welcome. And we'll watch the Super Bowl together. And hopefully someone will get saved by that and stuff. And, but we're not going to change anything. We're not going to preach anything that's difficult because we certainly don't want to offend anybody. And this is the thing. Jesus would offend people. But at the same time, the broken and the humble and those who were coming to him that were broken and lowly, he was gentle as a dove, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the place of humility. And that's where we're coming to is this place of humility where, where Jesus looks at us and, and he welcomes that. Jesus welcomes that. He loves it when we're broken. He, and again, not that we're like, okay, I've had this sin issue for 30 years and I'm not trying to deal with it and stuff. But it's like when you're truly broken and you're truly seeking him, he loves that. And his heart is drawn to it. Turn to uh, Proverbs 16. I think it's interesting too how, yeah, like Jesus is gentle with people. Like he, he, he's not trying to puff himself up and He's not self-deprecating and thinking, not knowing who he is. He knows yeah. he's God, um, but he also he's not looking to puff himself up. But instead, he's serving his like he's serving his disciples when they need to have a hard talking to. Yeah. He gives them a hard talking to when he needs to be you know gentle with them. He's gentle with them, and he's seeking to better them um, and, and just and, and how to you know um, to, to serve them. Yeah, and that's the whole thing. Again, the whole, the whole thing is to serve one another. The whole thing is to love each other and to lay down our lives for each other. And it's not about, and again, that's where we get off is when it becomes about me. When it becomes about my thing or my, my mission, my ministry, my, my position, my authority, my whatever. And stuff, and I've I've seen something like like where just a young Christian would say something to a, like a pastor or somebody, and like you know some head guy and stuff, and he's like, "You have no right to speak to me. I have all this wisdom, all this knowledge, all this training and stuff. How dare you say anything to me, right?" And stuff, and so again, it's not about that position. It's not about that authority, and that's the thing. Like we talked about before, like the pastor. The word pastor is not a title. It is a job description. The word apostle is not a title. It is a job description. And all you are is fulfilling a function. You are taking an empty spot and you are putting a body in there and saying, I will take this place. Right? 
And in Proverbs, go ahead. I can get off sometimes where I love, um, I either love myself or people more than I love truth. Right. And the truth is what will help me to speak what is true, you know. Yeah. Um, whether it be, a, you know, something that's gentle and the, the truth, just the truth, loving the truth, I think helps me see people in the right place yeah. and helps me know myself in my right place too and be able to speak to that in, in truth. Yeah. And, um, and I think that's the part where it says the Holy Spirit will guide us into that truth, yeah. you know, yeah. and it's like when we're open and we're, we're in that place of humility, mm -hmm. then the Holy Spirit can speak to us and say, this is how you need to be in this situation. Yeah. Yeah. And in Psalm 16, verse 19, it says, it's better to be humble in spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. And again, that's completely opposite of how the world thinks. The world thinks I need to get as much as I can get. I need to, you know, go for the gusco and, you know, all this stuff. I need to, you know, he who has the most toys in the end wins. It's like, you know, you're not going to take any of that with you. And again, this is where we're storing our treasures in heaven, where we're laying down our desires, when we're laying down all these things that we want and stuff, and we're laying it down for someone else. Um, turn to in Isaiah 57. Because, again, God is attracted to lowliness. He is attracted to those who are broken. He is attracted to those who say, you know what? I don't have all the answers. And I'm not somebody special. And I'm not. And the thing is, is and, and we're going to look at the balance of that, too, because you can take that too far as well. You can, you can get to where, like, you're so consumed with your, your lack of abilities, you're so consumed with your, your failures or, or whatever, that you're like, I can't do anything, right? And God doesn't want us to be paralyzed. So, and in Isaiah um, 57, verse 15, it says, For thus says the high and exalted one, and I love how it starts like that, Thus says the high and exalted one. It doesn't get any better than that, right? It doesn't get any more powerful than that. It doesn't get any more holy or awesome or anything than that. He says, thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. I dwell on a high and holy place. And look at this. And also with a contrite and lowly of spirit. And I think that's, that's so awesome because in the Old Testament, their concern was building a temple for the Lord. We got to build this thing. We got to make it so grand and so awesome and stuff like that. And God's saying all the time, I don't need any of that. All I need is a heart. All I need is someone who is lowly, someone who is broken, someone who's, you know, willing to open their heart to me. Uh -huh. It goes along with that. Isaiah 66, verse, uh, a letter part of verse 2 says, But to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit, and him who mm. trembles at my word. That's good. And so, uh, again, you know, we, again, sometimes when we, we've been believers for a while, uh, you can get stuck in this routine type thing. And it's like, I get up in the mornings, I have my quiet time, I pray, I read my Bible and stuff, and I go out and I do my thing and stuff. And we, we always need to come back to that place where it's just me and God. 
that place where it's just like, okay, Lord, I'm realizing my need for you. I'm realizing my need. Because the thing is, is we are all broken. We are all messed up, screwed up, broken, smashed, whatever and stuff. Every single one of us. The problem with non-believers is, or, or religious people, is they don't realize that, right? And sometimes even we as believers, we can tend to forget that and think that, you know, again, we start going for a while and everything's happening smoothly, everything's going well, and we forget. Like, I'm just messed up. I'm just someone that needs Jesus. And I didn't need Jesus. I'm not someone that needed Jesus 30 years ago. I need Jesus now. Mm -hmm. Right? And it's that dependency on him that draws him close to us. And again, we get in those periods and we get in these dry times. And we wonder, well, where's the presence of God? And that's the key. The key to finding back that presence of God and that nearness of the Lord is coming back to that place of humility, that place of like, Lord, let's just it's just me and you. It's not me and you in my church. It's not me and you and these people that I know. It's not me and you and my pastor. It's not me and you and the worship team. It's just me and you. And so, right? And that's where God meets us in that place. And, uh, you know, again... Uh, some of us turn to Job chapter 39 because again we think of humility as meekness which it is meekness but in a biblical way and not in a worldly way because again meekness in the in the eyes of the of the world means you're just this person that's abused this person that's you know that's that doesn't have anything going for you that doesn't have anything worthwhile to share or to say or anything like that you just need to go sit in a corner because you're you know, you're, you're a waste of time and stuff. But biblically speaking, it's a whole lot different. And in Job chapter 39, I think this is an awesome picture of, of, of what humility is. In verse 19, this is God speaking to Job. He says, do you give the horse his might? Do you clothe his neck with a mane? Do you make him leap like the locust? His majestic snorting is terrible. Now think of this. This is God's creation, right? Now think about a horse. A horse is something that you can train, right? A horse is, is something that you can make do your will. But look at the, the picture of this. This is not something that's like a... I, I mean, I'm sure we've all ridden a horse that's like one inch from the glue factory, you know, and you sit on it and the horse almost falls down, you know, and you try you kick it and it just kind of shuffles along and stuff like that but this is not the picture here right and the picture here is one of biblical humility this is someone that is under the control and the hand of god he says uh verse 20 again he says do you make him leap like the locust his majestic snorting is terrible he paws in the valley and he rejoices in his strength and again that's that's awesome right god has made each one of us with gifts God has made us to be powerful, to be mighty. And, and it may be in small ways, right? It may not be this visible thing or this thing that's, you know, ostentatious or huge or big or anything like that. It may be something no, no one even knows about it, right? But wherever you are in your sphere, in your realm, in your place, God has created you to be powerful, to be strong, to be mighty. And again, this is this is not for our flesh. It's not for our pride. Uh, so many times you, you hear preaching on your destiny and this is what God's called you to do. And it's all about pride, 
right? God has called you, O mighty warrior, to be this mighty prophetess or to be this mighty evangelist or whatever and stuff. No, God has called you to be humble. God has called you to love him with all of your heart. And through that, he will energize the gifts that he's already put in you, right? And the thing is, is it doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be huge. But if you're doing what God has called you to do, then you are operating in supernatural divine power and authority. Right? And, and we, we get caught up in worldly thinking that it's about our own greatness. Exactly. It's, it's about my destiny or my who God has called me to be and all this kind of when, stuff. When, when uh, John said, I decrease that he might increase, right. it's not about us being exalted and us being someone great yeah you know, it's about us humbling ourselves that so that he can be great in us yeah and the thing is it, it talks about how the horse rejoices in its strength you know it's awesome sometimes and sometimes we need to do that sometimes we need to look at what god does through us or in us or with us or whatever and take a minute to rejoice in that okay because so many times we're like oh not me god can't use little oh me i mean you know i'm just nobody and stuff like yeah, you are. But God did something good through you just then, right? When you shared that gospel with somebody, they may not have gotten saved. But who knows if you didn't water that seed and someday they will, right? Or when you you helped somebody in a tough situation or when you gave somebody some money that was helping their finances or something. You never know what little thing that you are doing is going to truly bless somebody. And it's okay to rejoice with God. And God wants us to rejoice with him because, again, God, look at the picture here. It's someone that's riding this war horse and they're like a team. They're like a, a unit, right? And they're all together and they're rejoicing in each other and stuff. And God wants us to dance with him. He wants us to rejoice in him in this thing because life gets so mundane. And it gets so boring and it gets so repetitive and it's like I'm doing the same thing over and over and over. But sometimes something happens that you know is God. And it's awesome, right? And I think sometimes we like, we, we, we uh, like think that, oh, you know, God, like when we think of like God's plan and walking out in God's plan and we think of like a spotlight kind of like right. idealized situation. But for some, a lot of Paul's ministry, his you know, like the powerful ministry that God was doing, it was Paul writing letters in a jail cell. Yeah. <laughs> wow. You know? That's awesome. Yeah. yeah it's, and it's he probably thought he wasn't doing anything, you know? <laughs> And but beat up. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's the beautiful thing about this picture. It's like, I'm not the person riding on the horse. I'm just the horse, right? But I want to be the best, baddest horse that I can be. And like, if the Lord says, let's go over here and, and attack these enemies, okay, let's go over here. Or if he says, let's go over here, right? We are the servant under the hand of the master. And wherever he takes us, that's where we go. Continuing on, he says, he paused in the valley and rejoices in his strength. He goes out to meet the weapons. He laughs at fear and is not dismayed. And he does not turn back from the sword. The, the quiver rattles against him, the flashing spear and javelin. With shaking and rage, he races over the ground and he does not stand still at the voice of the trumpet. As often as the trumpet sounds, he says, aha! And he scents the battle from afar and the thunder of the war of the captains and the war cry. And I, again, because some sometimes people have de, have, have described um, humility as uh, strength under control. And really, I think that that's an awesome name for it because God has made us to be strong. 
God has made us to be powerful. And again, a lot of times we're, we're scared to exhibit strength or we're scared to, you know, you, you got two problems in the world. Sometimes you got this problem of the person that speaks and speaks and they won't ever shut up, right? The, the person that has to hog the floor, the person that has to be the center of attention, the person that has to get all the attention for themselves. And in that same room, you're going to have people that are filled with wisdom that never say anything. And you're like, man, I need to hear from this person. I need to hear from the person that doesn't say anything because they're just saving stuff up. And when they do say something, it's going to explode. It's going to be like one of those, you know, the cans with the worms in it that, it, you know, explodes when you open it and stuff. And the thing is, is, is so we need to find that balance in God where, yeah, we're not the person where I'm trying to do everything for me. I'm trying to get, you know, accolades or glory for myself or whatever. But at the same time, you know, God can use me. I'm available for him. I'm there for him to use me and stuff. And, and you know, this, this whole thing, because this was a big statement in the church. The church does these things. We come up with these statements and they become fads and stuff like the whole WWJD and the whole like, uh, you know, what, what was the thing? Love God all the time, all the time, love God. Or, you know, or God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. And yeah, all that's true. But they become cliches and stuff. And this whole thing about, you know, God's not looking for um, um, my ability. He's looking for my availability. That's not necessarily true, right? Because, uh, yes, he is looking for our availability. But also he's looking for our ability. Because in each one of us, he has put abilities, right? In the Old Testament, what happened when they were building the, the tabernacle? Moses felt, found people that had skill, right? He found Bezalel and Oholiab, I think was the other guy's name. These people were skilled in the work. And so he put them in it. Same with David. David didn't just let everybody into his worship team, right? When, when David, when they finally built the temple, they, David established 24 hour worship. They had worship going all the time. But it says that the people that David chose were skillful musicians, Right. And so we, we get this false conception in our mind that, well, you know, uh, you know, it's either me or this piece of wood. God's going to pick me. OK, to do whatever he wants. And, you know, and, and we think that God's just going to make us do like, OK, um, God's going to go make me go to India and be this evangelist and preach on the streets and stuff like that. I have no desire to do that or whatever. I have no calling to do that, whatever and stuff. But yeah, OK, that's what God's going to do. So we get these false conceptions. Right. God uses who we are. Now, sometimes God will do things that like are unexpected or make us do things that we don't want to do, things like that and stuff. But for the most part, he looks at the giftings and the purposes that he has put within us. And he says, I want you to be excellent in that. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And stuff, and and so many of us were like, "What's my gifts? What's my calling? What's my gifts?" And we were like, oh, "We don't know." And stuff, and it's like, "What are you good at? What has God established in you? What do you have a heart for? What energizes you, right? What drives you?" And stuff, and so the the, the whole thing is, God is looking for our availability, but He's also looking for our abilities, the place where we shine, the place where, where you know, it's like I can't. I'm trying to think of. You know, there's third, there are things that all of us cannot do, right? It's like, uh, I knew, I've known, we, we had a good friend of ours that wanted to be a worship leader and stuff like that, but he could not carry a tune. 
And it's like, how do you tell someone like that? It's like, I love your heart. It's awesome. You're great and stuff like that. But you can't do it. You encourage them to take voice lessons. Well, yeah, but you know, even with that, some people voice lessons don't help. But, but you know, uh, my, my point being, is, uh, it's like God sees our heart. And sometimes we, we, it's like David wanted to build the tabernacle, but he couldn't. God had Solomon do it, right? Moses wanted to lead the people into the promised land, but he couldn't. He, Joshua did it, right? And there were extenuating circumstances and things like that. But sometimes we do have desires in our heart and we think that this is what God has called me to. Or we think this is what God is, is wants me to do. And God's like, mm, no, <laughs> you know, yeah. because, uh, you know, again, so it's, it's that, like we think because I have the availability that God's going to make it happen. Right. Or because I have the availability and the desire, God's just going to, you know, make it happen and stuff. OK, maybe God can do that. I've actually heard of stories about how someone who couldn't play the guitar, they got saved and all of a sudden they could play or whatever and stuff. OK, it does happen. But for the most part, God takes the things that he has deposited within us and says, OK, I want to water that. I want to fertilize that. I want that to grow. On the, on the balancing side, there's been things that. I've had the ability to do, and God's like, mm, yeah, nope, because <laughs> He didn't want my human instinct to it. <laughs> That's true too. That is true too. Yeah, and so yeah, I mean, there is there is that dichotomy within that because. You know, again, it is about staying in that place of humility because that is the dangerous side of gifts. What no matter what gifting we have, no matter what we're, you know, it's it's a two-sided sword whatever gifting we have it's easy to start out in the power of god start out in his ability and stuff like that and all of a sudden it's like okay i got i'll take the reins now i got this down you know and stuff i mean we we used to lead worship and stuff and it's that is a dangerous place because you can get into a place where you're just you got it down you got it down to a system it's a it's a you know, we're, well, we're going to do three songs here. We're going to do a fast, three fast songs. We're going to do two slow songs after the service. We're gonna, you know what I'm saying? And it becomes this whole package thing rather than, than, you know what? Right now, I had this song set up to go, but I really feel like the Lord is wanting us to do this song, right? Or, you know, and the thing is, is even churches aren't built that way. You know, it's like, you know, right. So many, how many times have you been in worship and you're like, you know what? This needs to keep going. We need to not have any preaching today. Or sometimes maybe the preaching could be that way. I don't know. But you know what I'm saying? There's just examples of times when we, and it, again, it's all about, that's, because, that's why Jesus did so many things that were unexpected. Because that's what we do. That's what we like our boxes. We like the chairs that we sit in. We like our situations. We like our comfortability and stuff. And so we, 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 God, God allows us to go in our comfortability and go and rocking and doing our thing and stuff. And then one day we hit a wall and we're like, what's going on? And he's like, uh, we're not doing it that way today because he's in charge. He's the Lord. And again, he's bringing us to that place of humility. The Lord told me I'm supposed to sit there next week. I didn't hear that one. Peace out. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. I'm not telling truth, baby. Philippians 3, what? Um, yes. And again, this is, this is obviously something that we're always going to be working on in verse 7. 
He says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, more than that, in other words, more than the things that he counted gain, but also the things that were not gain, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ. And here's the thing, guys doesn't matter what your past is even if your past was this morning right even if your past was this afternoon if you stumbled get back up right so many of us have this you know this and, and uh, like i see so many believers get saved and they're like oh i'm so unworthy i'm so unworthy yeah okay that's great that's good to know you are unworthy okay now get up and do something yeah, right. and this is like he's talking about his abilities too. Whatever things yeah. pertain to me, I've counted lost for Christ, you yeah. know? Yeah. Like, they're rubbish. So, and that's the thing. Good things, bad things, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Those things are all washed away, and we're getting up and going forward and stuff. And that was Paul's life. And again, why was Paul so victorious? And that's, again, this is the place of humility. Because a lot of times, even when we're like, a lot of times when we're, we're like, we're cradling our sins and we're cradling our fall and we're cradling our, our stumbles and we're like, oh, poor, poor. You know what I'm saying? A lot of us, a lot of times have a spirit of self-pity. And honestly, I notice it about myself sometimes. It's like, and again, a lot of it's from our past, it's from our upbringing or whatever, but we, we fall and then we start, oh, I, oh my gosh, I see it all the time at Costco and stuff. These kids that there's nothing wrong, and you know, anytime you see kids, I mean, these kids that have nothing wrong with them and they're crying. And you can tell when a kid is fake crying, they're ah, like, <laughs> but they will go on for hours. But you know, and it's like, it's so annoying to watch and stuff. And sometimes I'm like, God is like, you know what? You are that kid. You know, because that's what we do. We fall and we're like, oh, what a miserable, wretched sinner I am and stuff. God's like, okay, are you through? Right? And you're like, oh, I still need to whip my, no, no, that's my job. And the thing is, is again, and that can be pride because it's like, you, it is not our job to cru crucify ourselves. You know, it is not our job to kick ourselves when we're down. It's our jobs to, to look at ourselves honestly to 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 say what can i do to overcome this what can i do to not fall what can i do to not stumble and to get up and go forward with the lord because when we're laying and we're wallowing on the ground we're certainly not accomplishing anything for the kingdom of god right and again that's what we are called that's what our purpose is to accomplish the to, and to affect the kingdom of God in this earth. And I think sometimes we do that instead of changing. You know? Ooh, that's really good. Yeah. A lot of times it's like, you know, I mean, I think we've all experienced that too. You know, it's like, you, you know, like every time you get together with a person, they talk about the same thing. They talk about my this or my that or my problem here. You know what I'm saying? And it's always the same thing. And it's like, don't you ever get any kind of victory over this? Haven't you ever overcome this? Is You know what I'm saying? And, and you're right. I think that sometimes, oh, sometimes we get comfortable in that place. We get comfortable in the self-pity. We get comfortable in the licking our own wounds and the, oh, poor me, poor me, look at me, I'm so poor and stuff. Rather than to, to face it and to, to get angry, honestly, 
and say, you know what? I'm not going to live like that. I'm not going to stay in that place. And you're right. It's like, you know, instead of doing the hard work of overcoming it, we, we're like, oh, I can't do it. I can't, you know, or whatever and stuff. Jesus says, I, I can do all things through Christ. We don't believe that. We really don't. Because, you know, why are we still licking our wounds? Why are we still feeling sorry for ourselves? Right? And so, yeah, definitely. We are to get up from there and go on. Um, continuing on, he says, uh, verse seven, but whatever things were gained to me for those, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And part of our problems too, is we haven't lost all things. A lot of times we're still holding on to some stuff. He says, it may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him. How do we get to know him? Through that place of humility. Humility draws him to us. All right? How do I, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Look at what Paul said. Again, Paul wasn't somebody that's always going around saying how great he was, how awesome he was. If you have to say how great you are, you got problems, right? It was the people around Paul that said how great he was. Amen. It was never Paul. Honestly, I I look at the back of books and I look at, you know, when a Christian speaker is coming to speak and this person has gone to 17 countries in the world and he's been, you know, around the world 50 times and he's he's preached to 50 million people here and blah, 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 blah. Who cares? Right. Paul never, ever, ever, ever did that as far as we know. And, you know, judging by his character and his reputation, never, ever did Paul do that. He said, matter of fact, he says, I don't need letters of recommendation from you. He says, my gospel is my letter of recommendation. What Jesus has done in my heart is my letter of recommendation. And we, in today's Christianity, in today's church, we have to have all these people saying how great we are. You know, this, you know, Paul didn't do that. Yeah. But it was even in that Well, I think he, he even goes on there to say, I speak like I'm a madman, <laughs> yeah. you know, and stuff. And yeah, yes. yeah. He says, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of in Christ. And so again, Paul's saying, you know, I haven't obtained it. I, I'm not special. I'm I'm not somebody. I'm not any of that. I'm just another person just like you are. Um, turn to one more person, place in Second Kings 6. And don't forget the Philippians scripture 2. Which one? Philippians 2. Read it. Do, not, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Yeah. And that's the thing. And again, you know, Christianity is all about the basics because we get so caught up in other things. We, and, and it's easy to do, you know. It's, 
you know, you got jail ministry, you got Bible studies, you got choir practice, you got, you know, whatever and stuff. There are all things that can kind of lead us astray. And so, again, we are just centering ourselves and focusing ourselves back on the original. And Second Kings chapter 6 is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And I just want to read it because it shows the heart of God towards the humble. In uh, in the Old Testament times, the worst the worst person that you could be essentially was a leper. If you were a leper, you had to go out. You had to live outside of the city. Uh, if you came around other people, you would have to shout "unclean." If you touched them, you could be killed and stuff. And and basically, leprosy was used as a metaphor for sin. So when people looked at you, it's like if you were a leper, it was worse than being a harlot. Right, it was it was pretty much the lowest form of life you could be in the Old Testament, and in Second Kings chapter six, verse twenty four. So in Second Kings six, uh, the people of God had sinned, and so because of their sins, God allowed them to be um, attacked by the enemies. And in uh, verse twenty four. It says, Now it came about after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, gathered all his army and went up and besieged Samaria. And that was the capital of Israel at the time. He says, There was a great famine in Samaria, and behold, they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver or a fourth of a cab of dove's dung. They're eating dung, dove's dung because they're so hungry, because they're, they're starving to death. A fourth of a cab of dove's dung for five shekels of silver. Now, I'm not sure how much this stuff is, but it's tiny amounts for large amounts of money, right? It says, And as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him, saying, Help, my lord, O king. He said, If the lord does not help you, from where will I help you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? And the king said to her, What is the matter with you? And she answered, This woman said to me, Give your son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. And again, in Deuteronomy 28, verse 53, that was one of the curses of the law, that if you do not obey the Lord, you will be in a situation where you are, you are uh, cannibalizing each other. He says, So we boiled my son. I mean, think about this. Think about the horrors of, of being besieged in, in these places. He says, so we boiled my son and ate him. And I said to her on the next day, give me your son that we may eat him. But she has hidden her son. It says, when the king heard the words of the woman, he tore his clothes. And he tore his clothes. Now he's passing by on the wall and the people looked and behold, he had sackcloth beneath on his body. Then he said, may God do so, do so to me and more also as the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat remains on him today. So, Instead of, again, instead of judging and assessing the situation properly, and this was an evil king, by the way, instead of realizing that it's because of their sins that these happening, he blames Elisha, right? And isn't that what happens a lot of times? And, and that's what happens too, is if a lot of times when you are truly trying to help somebody, they blame you, right? It's like in the situation they say with cops, more cops get shot in domestic violence situations than in any other situation. In other words, you got a man and a woman fighting and stuff, and the, so the cop comes to help out, and he winds up getting shot, right? 
and stuff. And that's what happens a lot of times is we direct our anger at the wrong places instead of assessing the situation properly. He says in verse 32, Now Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him, and the king sent a man from his presence. But before the messengers came to him, he said to the elders, Now you see how this son of a murderer has sent away to take away my head. So Elisha is talking about the king. He says, Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold the door shut against him. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him. While he was still talking with him, behold, the messenger came down to him, and he said, Behold, this evil is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Then Elisha said, Listen to the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow about this time a measure of fine flour will be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. So Elisha is predicting that tomorrow all this stuff that is so expensive is going to be dirt cheap. Now, if, you're, if you are surrounded by your enemies, if you're in a walled city that you can't go in or out of, I mean, this is, you're like, nah, right? So, Elisha's prophesying. And then in verse 2, the royal officer on whom the king, on whose hand the king was leaning, answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? Then, he, then Elisha says, Behold, you will see it with your own eyes, but you will not eat of it. So the guy's like basically mocking him, and Elisha said, You're going to see it, but you're not going to eat of it. it. says, Verse 3, Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, Why do we sit here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, then the famine is in the city, and we will die there. If we sit here, we will die also. Now therefore come, let us go over to the camp of the Arameans. If they spare us, we will live. If they kill us, we will only die. They arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Arameans. When they came to the outskirts of the camp of the Arameans, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Arameans to hear a sound of the chariots and a sound of horses, even the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the king of the Hittites and the king of the Egyptians to come upon us. Therefore they arose and fled in the twilight, left their tents, their horses, their donkeys, even the camp, just as it was, and fled for their lives. Now this is awesome. These people are in a situation that there is no escape. They are going to die, every single one of them. They're eating dove's dung to stay alive. They are going to die. There is no hope. There is no way out of it. And God supernaturally sends the enemies away. It says, uh, verse 8, When these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they entered one tent and ate and drank and carried from there silver and gold and clothes and went and hid them, and they returned and entered another tent and carried from there also and went and hid them. Then they said to another, listen to these guys. He says, They said to one another, We are not doing right. This day is a day of good news, but we are keeping silent. If we wait until morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore come and let us go and tell the king's household. These lepers had just come upon a situation that they would never ever come upon again. They, these guys just won the lottery. These guys just went from being dirt poor to being filthy rich and stuff. But look at their, their attitude. Is Even these lepers who everyone would have hated, everyone would have despised, everyone would have not wanted anything to do with them. Nobody wanted to touch them. No one wanted to show them, you know, it's like they couldn't hug them. They couldn't love them. They couldn't show them any kind of care and stuff. Yet the hearts of these guys were, what are we doing? We got to tell everybody else. 
It says, verse 10, So they came and called to the gatekeepers of the city, and they told him, saying, We came to the camp of the Arameans. Behold, there was no one there, nor the voice of man, only the horses tied, and the donkeys tied, and the tents just as they were. The gatekeepers called it and told it within the king's house. And it goes on and on and stuff. And, and um, I'm going down to uh, verse 16. So anyway, the people go out. In verse 15, they went out after them to the Jordan. And behold, all the way was full of clothes and equipment, which the Arameans had thrown down in their haste. Then the messengers re returned and told the king. So the people went out and plundered the camp of the Arameans. Then a measure of fine flour was sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. In other words, everything that Elisha had said came, came to pass. Now the king appointed the royal officer on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate, but the people trampled him. This is the guy that mocked Elisha. But the people trampled on him at the gate and he died just as the man of God had said, who spoke when the king came down to him. It happened just as the man of God had spoken to the king, saying, Two measures of barley for a shekel and a measure of fine flour for a shekel will be sold tomorrow about this time in the gate of Samaria. Then the royal officer answered the man of God and said, Now behold, if the Lord should make windows in heaven, could such a thing be? And he said, Behold, you will see it with your own eyes, but you will not eat it. And it so happened to him, for the people trampled on him at the gate, and he died. But the thing that I find so awesome is these lepers, the most humble people that there could be. The people that no one cared about, no one would go out of their way to help. Um, they didn't have, I mean, we take things for granted, right? Just the fact that we have people to hug, just to, that we, we have people that, to speak kindly to us, to, to go out of their way to, to take care of us, to do nice things for us. These people had none of that. And yet God saw them, Right? And I think the lesson there is God always sees, and we think that God doesn't see. We think, here I am, I'm just, I'm humble, I'm a nobody, I, I, you know, I've got nothing to offer, I'm just doing my thing, I'm just following the Lord, and God sees it. And, and, and the thing is, is we may not receive our reward, again, like we've talked about, we may not receive our reward, reward here, but God is saving up for us. And at some point, he's going to give us the spoil of the enemy. Amen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.